The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is sponsored by UnityVillage.org. Songwriter Karen Drucker returns to Unity Village with A Woman's Time Out Retreat, September 19th to 22nd. Learn more at UnityVillage.org forward slash events calendar. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here's your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. The man just said we'll get the party started. You know, I was at a party last night. Gosh, those late night parties show the next day, but it was such a worthy party. It was for um, the New York premiere of the film What the Health, which is the follow-up uh, that the Cowspiracy filmmakers have now taken a, a look and Woo, really an expose of the healthcare system in this country and what food's got to do with it. So that documentary will be on their website, um, at, um, whatthehealthfilm.com starting March 16th of 2017. So do be sure and, and take a look at that. It is a goodie. And how interesting that my first guest today is also involved with a wonderful film that I'll bet a lot of you have seen. And if you haven't, then by all means, uh, get to uh, Netflix and wherever you can find Plant Pure Nation, which was um, done by her husband, Nelson Campbell. But today we're going to be talking with Kim Campbell. She was on the show before with Nelson and with her first cookbook, the Plant Pure Nation cookbook. And she has followed up now with a beautiful, beautiful cookbook, the Plant Pure Kitchen, 130 mouthwatering whole food recipes and tips for the plant-based life. Hey, Kim, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Victoria. And that was that was a beautiful introduction. <laughs> My son was actually very much involved with the beauty of that book because he did all the photography. So did he share that with him? <laughs> oh, that's a wonderful thing. Well, I always like the pictures. You know, to me, a cookbook is a book that before you ever cook anything from it, you make yourself a cup of tea, you sit down. And you go through every page and you look at the recipes and you see what's in it and you look at the picture. And I tend to always want to make the ones first that the pictures look good. Yeah, I do the same thing. <laughs> it is an art form. So what inspired you to write cookbooks? I actually really enjoy what I do, which is recipe development at Plant Pure Nation. But I was inspired about six years ago when we did our first jump start. Um, you know, you don't, you don't really see it or be, you be, I mean, I, I believe everything that my father-in-law has told us over the years about the health benefits of this, this lifestyle. But when you actually see people's numbers change in 10 days, that is so exciting. And then they become passionate and they want to learn more. Um, I really wanted to be a resource for people going through our jump starts. So that was really the motivator for me. And 
for years, Nelson had been telling me to do a cookbook, and I kind of ignored him because I knew it was going to be a huge task. Um, but but once I got started, I couldn't stop. So I, I really wanted to be a resource for people so that they could share recipes and, um, you know, learn how to get started. And and the second reason I do it is it's creative and it's fun. Um, I, mm-hmm. I just really enjoy I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun, but it's, it's, it's been really um, an interesting project over the last few years. Now, your father-in-law, of course, is Dr. T. Colin Campbell of the China Study et al. So you uh, married into a family that's got its nutrition ducks in a row for sure. So right. what inspired you to change your diet and go down this path? Well, I met Nelson a long time ago. We've been married for... 30 years, and I, I met him when I was 16. So, I, yeah, I, I had the lucky opportunity to be around the Campbell family when Colin was doing a lot of his research. So I was hearing all of this wonderful, interesting new information at the ripe old age of 16, 17. So um, that really inspired me to get involved in nutrition. So when I went to college, I thought I wanted to be a dietitian. Little did I know that they teach very different nutrition information than what Colin was talking about. So that's really when it started. I don't remember waking up one morning and being 100% plant-based. For us, it was a journey, Um, and we became really good at it after we had our our children. For some reason, when you have children, it really... um, it really changes how you look at the world, and, you know, we wanted the best for them as well. So that was when we really got serious about living 100% whole food plant-based. Mm, that's wonderful, because that's what happened for me, too. It really took the birth of my daughter to get me 100% over And yet at that time, so many people were saying, oh, my gosh, if you want to do this crazy thing, that's your business, but you don't want to subject an innocent child to it. Mm -hmm. So um, thank goodness things are changing now so that there's certainly more respect uh, for this way of eating. Mm -hmm. So in this book, what sets this book apart from the first book? And uh, what should we cook first? Well, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me that, and, and, I, and I have different answers. But I think the Plant Pure Kitchen book is a little bit more, um, I think the recipes can be a little more simple than Plant Pure Nation because some of those recipes were recipes we used in the Jump Start. So our primary goal wasn't always to make them easy, although there's still a lot of easy recipes. Um, also, I got a lot of feedback from people about recipes that they wished I had included or you know, could I? Could you take nuts out of this? Could you do more gluten-free? So I was really listening to people and, and adding a lot of that to the book. Um, I won't say it's a gluten-free book because obviously there's a bread chapter, um, but my daughter, when she first started looking through it, she said, Mom, your book is about 90% gluten-free, and why is that? And I don't know why I didn't set out to, for it to be gluten-free, but since we are... You know, we do more whole foods, less processed. It, it sort of naturally happens. So she helped write a lot of the educational material and wanted this to be a resource for people who were gluten-free. So she developed a gluten-free chart that people could use in the book. Um, and she, I, she and I went back and forth and argued about that, but she was she was much smarter than I was and, inc- and included it. So I would say that's, that's how it, it stands alone, alone from the first book. And, and I can tell that it really has a lot of very, very simple recipes. And I like that. You know, we're, we're JL Fields and I. Hello. I hear you. Are you still there, Kim? Okay. We Hello? may have lost. Well, what's going on, Jeff? I hear Kim, but she doesn't seem to hear me. Okay. Okay. Well, listeners, while we we get um, Kim back, (laughs) I just want to say that she has given me a question here that I want to follow up on because it's almost exactly the question that I asked last night to the filmmakers at the What the Health premiere. And that is the best approach to get more people 
interested in embracing this way of eating because in the What the Health film, they interview people from the American Heart Association, the American Cancer Society, and they reveal a lot of economic ties with the food industry and with companies that really would have something to uh, to hide <laughs> if these organizations really well, came out and how oh, hi Kim uh, and, and reflected the science. And so, Kim, I'm just um, telling the listeners that one of your questions is something that hello? I want to ask you. Okay, Jeff, she's still not hearing me. Sorry, listeners, we're having tech stuff. Tech happens. That would be my bumper sticker if I had a car. Tech happens. Okay. Well, while we're waiting for her to call back, I will just tell you what is going on coming up at Main Street Vegan. I see her calling back. I see her calling back. Over on our blog this week. We have some good information for you. Um, Hi, Victoria. I'm back. Hey, Kim. Can you hear me now? I don't know what happened. I called in twice, but don't know what happened here. You know, I was just telling people that if I had a car, I would have a bumper sticker that says, Tech Happens. Uh So, no worries. (laughs) I agree. Okay. Um, Main Street Vegan blog this week is Love Rhymes with Everything which is a new kid's book that you might be interested in. And the question I have for you, Kim, is interestingly the same question that I was asking Kip and Keegan last night at the film premiere. And that is, we understand why some of these big organizations that are entrenched in a system and have economic ties and all sorts of reasons for not wanting to come this way, they're in their own category. But regular people, everybody's brother-in-law, everybody's co-worker, they seem to have such resistance. So what do you think is the best approach to getting more people to embrace this? I think that, you know, if you don't have community support and you don't have people around you who are also kind of passionate or or, or wanting to try this, it makes it more difficult, um, which was kind of goes along with the idea that, you know, Nelson had when he was creating the pods because so many people in our jump starts did fall off the wagon and didn't stick with it because they went home and their families weren't doing it, their extended family wasn't doing it. So surrounding yourself with, with like-minded people, um, if you can, that's not always possible. But I think that's, a, that's to me, that's the number one reason that people – have difficulty sticking with it. That's the first thing. And then I think uh, in the plant-based community, in the vegan community, we've become, some, some people have become so passionate about this and have had such great health benefits that they start to create a lot more rules around it. And those rules oftentimes kind of push people away. And the more rules you have, and I know this from my teaching experience, the harder it is to convince people to do something. Um, I know that in the plant-based community, there's been a lot of talk about soy. We all know about that. Um, there's been a lot of talk about gluten, um, nuts and seeds and avocados and organic and GMO. And there's just so many topics that, that, are, that are wrapped around being whole food plant-based, and people get overwhelmed. And I've known my father-in-law for over 35 years, and the message is always the same. Keep it simple, eat whole foods, eat less processed foods, and enjoy it. And I, I think that's the message that's really important as we try to get other people to do this. But when you start creating boundaries and rules, it, it, it just makes it more difficult for people. I, I know people in my family have said, Gosh, there's so many things I have to worry about. I, I don't think I could ever do that. Um, but it's it's really not that complicated. It's really about eating whole plants and eating a variety of plants. And well, you not put that other people and being humble and having a mm-hmm. you, you know. Just yesterday we were at Durham and we did a talk and a woman said to me, "Well, I could I I'm plant based, but she said I I'll never give up the oil. I just love oil and." I suppose I could have, you know, really 
dropped my jaw and said, oh, that's terrible. But I said, well, you know, maybe eventually you will get rid of the oil. And then I, you know, talked to her about some strategies, but she, she insisted she was never going to get rid of the oil. And that's okay. That, that's, that's part of her journey. And so learning to be humble and honor where other people are in their path is important. Did I answer well, that question? <laughs> oh, I mean, not only did you answer it, you, you got a gold star and a blue ribbon. This is why I absolutely adore you. Because every time we've talked, you've always had this wonderful, open-minded, welcoming approach to this thing. And the fact is, when it comes to health, we can't tell other people how to take care of their own health. We can give them the information, and they're going to do what they want. And because so many other things are involved here in terms of of animal rights, in terms of the environment, to get people to move in this direction and, and to get rid of the animal foods or almost get rid of the animal foods. I mean, that is so enormous mm-hmm. that I just think sweating the small stuff does not serve us. You know, we can offer what we see as, as the best and, and the brightest. And if people want to emulate that, that's wonderful. And if not, they're going to find their own way. Because everybody, you're right, everybody has their own journey. And their own goals, and my goals maybe are different than yours, um, and so respecting that. But I'm going to take this to a, another another level, and maybe I should or shouldn't say this, but um, <laughs> I recently just saw, I guess it was in the last month, a thread on social media where somebody said they were going to give up animal products five days out of the week, and I thought, oh, that's great, good. Well, that's that's a step in the right direction. And so somebody's response was not quite so friendly and in words that I don't want to repeat on air, that, well, what about the other two days that you're killing the animals? You can look at that from two angles that, you know, the glass is half empty or half full, but I thought it was pretty honorable and commendable that that person was looking to give up eating animal products five days out of the week instead of, you know, beating him up for the two days that he's not. And I think we have to learn how to respect people and how to speak to people, even on social media, because I see it now and then, and it, I think, oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> so I, I, just, I just had to say that because I, I sometimes think that we, we know how to behave and we know how to speak to people, and we have to do it in a way that's respectful. And um, social media sometimes can take away that respect. Oh. Oh, don't get me started. I feel like I, <laughs> I mean, it, it's where people's dark side comes out to play because they can hide. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I know it's wonderful in so many ways, and our movement would not be where it is today if it weren't for social media. But you have got to be tough <laughs> to mm-hmm. get on there and and know that people are going to tell you exactly what they think yeah. in ways that they, they wouldn't in real life. But I agree with you because somebody who gives up animal products five days a week, in six months, they're going to be vegan. I mean, because it's it's just how it works unless people are so critical that it would make someone like that say, well, I don't want to be involved with these idiots. You know, let me go find the paleo folks. Maybe they'll be nice. <laughs> And, you know, I have to say there are so many great plant-based groups out there, and they're helping each other, and, you know, 90 to 95% of the time, it's a great thing. But, you know, sometimes you see that, that 5%, and you think, oh, <laughs> don't say that. But, but we do. You're right. We have so much support, you know, just, just through the Internet that's, that's good for people that are just walking into this as well. But let's keep being supportive and positive with people because that's how you make change happen. Right. And then speaking of the Internet, Plant Pure Chef and Plant Pure Nation on Facebook and Plant Pure Chef on Instagram is where you will be able to find Kim. And also, of course, um, the Plant Pure Nation website. We'll put all that on the Main Street Vegan show notes. So what do you see, Kim, are some of the common obstacles? People start their plant-based journey, and then they just come up against something that they feel is insurmountable. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like I said, there there's, seems to be more and more rules that, that happen. But the other thing that's really difficult is people who um, 
don't have family members that support them. We have a Facebook Live every Thursday night, and tomorrow we have a, a couple that's coming on, and I, I love this couple. Uh, he had diabetes, and he was going to share his story. And when he became diabetic, uh, Kathy was behind him 150%. I always tell her, you saved his life. <laughs> but if, she, if he didn't have her, he might not have been successful. He's gotten off of all of his medications, and um, she's doing the Ruby Cooking School. She's a wonderful cook. She's passionate about what she does. Having that kind of support in your, in your family, in your community, is so important. And without it, it, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means it's a little more challenging. So I think that's a really big obstacle for many people. Well, it's really true, and that is one of the places where the Internet is great because you can get the group support. And then also meetups and, and other organizations of that nature so you can really see that there are other people out there. And then it means the world when, when your family comes on board. I mean, I met my husband. My daughter and I were vegan and, and had been for her whole life. She was 13 when I met William. And he, he got it about meat. He stopped eating meat a couple of weeks after we met. But the, the rest of it was, was just more difficult. And, and it took a growth process and it took some time. But now he's completely on board. And I feel so lucky. But if that had not happened, I would still need to be doing what I do. And the truth is it wouldn't be as easy. Well, that's also the other, the other obstacle I was going to talk to you about was the food. And I think for a lot of people who don't have time to cook, they're busy or they don't like to cook, um, it, it's difficult. That's when Nelson and I sat down and said we, we have to create food that we can get to people so that, you know, they can do a jump start, first of all, and see the results. And then there's continuing ongoing support so you can buy Plant Pure Nation food, keep it in your freezer, it's clean, it's... It's tasty. It's it's got you know it's a pound for for every meal, and we do it here. A lot of times, I'm out at a cooking class, or Nelson's busy, and we pull it out of the freezer, and it's it's really nice on those nights when you don't have time to cook. So I think having the food that's available um, is is really important. Yeah, that's very cool. So for people who don't know about your food company, do do you order that through through the mail, or do you get that at a store? Tell us about it. You can go on plantpurenation.com and you can order a Jumpstart package or you can order the meals a la carte. There's 10 different entrees right now, and we're building on that. There'll be, hopefully in the summertime, there'll be 20 grand total. And that's actually a big part of my job is recipe development for the frozen line. So, And then in April, it's going to be available on Amazon, which we're really excited mm. about. Um, so, so, yes plantpurenation.com, and then hopefully very soon, um, Amazon. Oh, that is exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> yeah, very, very cool. So you've raised a family this way. Any suggestions for kids and teens? I was really fortunate because, you know, our kids basically went from breast milk to plants, so I didn't really have struggles with them that way. I had other struggles that weren't plant-based necessarily, but I think when you're bringing kids into this, kids have so many pressures and stress in their lives that are very different than adults. So adding one more thing to the plate can be challenging. But I think educating them first, most kids want to know why they're doing, why you want them to to go plant-based, and starting out with documentaries. And you mentioned there's so many great ones out there, and there's so many different angles you can come to this through, you know, maybe you're you're interested in saving the animals or you have environmental passions. Maybe it's just health, but kids can usually find something that resonates with them. And then getting them in the kitchen and creating ownership, and it's wonderful because they can can cook, they can buy the food. Um, My kids, uh, really, their life skill that I taught them was how to cook, and they're in their 20s now, and they are, all three of them, wonderful cooks. Uh Uh-huh. yeah, getting kids' ownership with the food is, is really important. And then not judging them. You know, it's their journey, too. So if they fall off the wagon and they're having pizza and hot dogs and whatever, remember it's their journey. I think the more you push kids, 
the more difficult the process will be. Oh, I, I think that that's a, a wise wise psychologist over there. And the kids, too, once they make the animal connection, you know, they don't want to eat their friends. I remember saying to my daughter once, well, you know, if you ever do want to try something that we don't eat. And she said, Mom, you think I would want to eat an animal? It's like, okay, all right. I, so I did so it. I animals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, just bless you, Kim, and your whole family. The book is The Plant Pure Kitchen. Get it, cook with it, love it. It's delicious. And she's such a good woman. So so check her out all over online. And all the best. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Victoria. I really enjoyed visiting with you. Thank you. And stay with us, everybody. We are going to be bringing on Deborah Vidal, who is a homeopath. That's new and different. Stay with us. topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. Now, you know if you've listened to the show for a while that we've had on lots of health people. We've had medical doctors, pharmacists, doctors of chiropractic. We had a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine. We've had um, people who, who run fasting clinics. We had Joe Cross from Fat Sick and Nearly Dead talk about juicing. So we've looked at lots of ways to heal the body and the life, but we've never looked at Homeopathy. Well, that is never until today. So it is my great pleasure to be introducing Deborah Vidal. She grew up in Las Vegas, went vegetarian at 11 because of her love for animals. She also had a near-death experience at age 11, which left her with migraines and put her on a life search to cure herself. She was also an LP. AG pro golfer for over 10 years, got sick from pesticides and a back injury, and again was promoted to heal herself, fell in love with homeopathy, went to school for that and has been practicing in Los Angeles for 20 years. She also has a wonderful podcast on which I have been a guest, and it's called Vidal Speaks. 
Welcome, Deborah Vidal. Thank you, Victoria. It's so great to be on your show now, and I thank you again for being on my show. That was a very popular episode. Oh, I'm so glad. So you played in the LPGA, and you know, I thought that looked funny when I saw it here and it said LPAG. It's LPGA. <laughs> right. I was going to uh, say something, but then I thought, they got it. Yeah, it's like, hmm, I'm reading those letters, but they seem funny. Yes, so we know what it is. Pro golfer and a vegan. How was that? Well, I can tell you I was the only vegan, which is sad, and I'm for sure probably still in the world the only LPGA golfer, vegan, and homeopath, so it's a rare combination, but, you know, we travel every week to a different city playing the tour. It wasn't easy, especially back in those days. I finished playing the tour in 97, and you go to some towns, you know, that really don't advocate healthy meals. But I would stay half the time in people's houses because that was a service they would do on the tour. Some local residents would offer their house for players to stay with them, and that would allow me a kitchen to cook, so that helped. How interesting. You know, I think we always have the idea that people who are out there doing these things that are on television and look so fancy that you're just staying in the Ritz, had no idea you were staying in people's houses. Well, so, some people do stay in the in the Ritz and in hotels every week, and I did, you know, my share of staying in hotels, but it's it's a hard lifestyle being on the road, and when you have a special diet and you really want to eat healthy ingredients, sometimes the only way to do it is to cook it yourself, even though you're on the road. Yeah. Well, Deborah, let's jump right into homeopathy, because this is something that a lot of people are not familiar with. I know that it's been around for a very long time that Queen Elizabeth has a homeopath uh, and her palace staff. But what about the rest of us? What's in homeopathy for us? Okay, well, first, I just want to say that homeopathy is famous in countries that are third world countries because it's a very inexpensive medicine. So Mexico, India, and and a lot of poor countries know about homeopathy because you can buy remedies so cheap. And then I would like to tell people, you know, a short explanation of what it is because it's a word that's misused over and over again. Many people think that when you say something is homeopathic, it just means that you're doing something natural, but that's not true. In order to be called homeopathic or for something to be a homeopathic remedy, it has to follow really specific rules and be made in a, in a homeopathic pharmacy. And that means that the substance is diluted. It's not, let's just take the echinacea plant. If we take echinacea and we take one drop of that plant and we dilute it, then we um, add 99 drops to water and we hit it on the palm of our hand 100 times. That's one dilution. In order for it to become a 30C, we have to dilute that 30 times like that. So it's really more energy medicine than anything else. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. I think it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And I think they would say you put the homeopathic remedy in the test tube and there's nothing there. So you just bought nothing and you wasted your money. What do you right, say to that that's argument? Why doctors and scientists really are so against homeopathy because they look at it under a microscope and they'll say there's nothing there. But now there's ways to prove differently. There's a Chinese scientist that was trying to prove energy and he used homeopathy to show that his microscope could show something has higher energy than lower and it worked. And if any of you know, there's a Japanese man that shows these pictures of just using the word like love in the water. He takes out a drop of the water and he has everyone chant the word love and puts the water under a microscope and it shows like a very specific pattern, almost like a snowflake, a beautiful pattern. And when you say the word hate, it showed a different energy so and a different pattern. So energy medicine is real and it's getting more and more able to be proven. And really as a homeopath, I don't spend a lot of time 
trying to convince people that because it's been around since the 1700s and we know so many people that have gotten well from it. And if people, you know, don't believe in it, that's fine. It's, it's in time, you know, that it's changed so much over the years. But when you ask, like, what's in it for us? Well, what's in it for us? It's a very sustainable medicine because it's inexpensive. You can buy a tube of pellets even at, you know, your local natural food store for $7 and there's hundreds of pellets in that little tube. You can heal yourself, which means you don't have to go to the doctor unless you feel like it's something that's an emergency or, you you know, you're at risk for something. But there's so many things moms can learn to do for their kids or we can do for ourselves, And that's what I try to do on my show is to really to teach people to take responsibility for their health and to learn simple, natural measures that you can do yourself. And homeopathy is just a really great way. You can buy a little kit and a book and you can learn so many things to help your pets, your family members, your friends, you know, your birds in the neighborhood, whatever. You can help so many things with homeopathy. And there's, you know, just a a simple starting point with a book and a kit. You'll get better at it. So a lot of people have found it complex. So you get your book, and maybe you can tell us what, what book to get. But in my experience, you get the book, and it would say, okay, let's say you have a sore throat. Well, is it a dry sore throat that makes you want to go to bed and your head feels hot? Or is it a scratchy sore throat and you feel a little bit shaky and you have chills? And it's sort of like, well, what if it's not dry, but I have chills and I want to go to bed? I mean, it's just, it's very hard, I think, for a lay person to put it all together. So start with us at the very beginning. We're looking for a wonderful, natural adjunct to our holistic life. Where do we start? Okay, well, one of the first starting places would be if you go to my website, which is vidalspeaks.com, and you look under my podcast, I think it was episode number five, I did a show on homeopathy. And that would be the best starting point because I take the entire hour to explain it. I list in there the pharmacies you can get remedies from, all my favorite books. And But I want to I answer your question why we're on here, but that's really, if someone wants to take an hour to learn more about it and really just the basics of it, but in a better way, that's where I would start. And my favorite books are there. But let's just say like we have a flu. It could be a sore throat too, like you're saying. But if you have the flu and I have the flu, you may feel like you need to drink an ice cold smoothie because you're feeling kind of hot and that's what you're craving. And I may feel like I want a hot cup of tea or water with lemon in it and get under my covers and be all warm. You may want company because you're you're lonely that day. And I may be really grumpy and I don't want anyone to disturb me. Well, we need two different remedies because our symptom pictures are the same, meaning we have the flu, but in our on our individual symptoms, they're very uniquely different. And so we use mental, emotional, and physical symptoms, and we pick a remedy. As homeopaths, we're trained to learn many, many different symptoms about each remedy, and there's thousands and thousands of remedies, so it's quite a study. But let's say, for instance, in the person who's grumpy and doesn't want company, they may need a remedy like bryonia, because bryonia is kind of the grumpy bear remedy. They want to be left alone. They don't like to be disturbed. It's a great flu remedy. It's a great pneumonia remedy. And then you may need phosphorus because you want some cold drinks and you want company and you're ameliorated when someone's around you. And that's why homeopathy is so great because if you go to the doctor and you say you have the flu, well, first of all, there's nothing they can do for you because there is no real antiviral drugs. But even if it were a bacterial thing, they would just give the same antibiotic to all of us. And an antibiotic is just a standard treatment which doesn't individualize. And today's medicine is moving more and more in the direction of looking at the whole person. And homeopathy has been doing that for hundreds of centuries. So we just, 
you know, really look at the individual symptoms, the mental symptoms, the physical symptoms, the emotional symptoms. And, of course, if we're treating chronic disease, then we're looking at family history and what we call etiology, which means what happened when you got this disease. Was there a huge grief? Was there a divorce? Was there something that made them really angry? So we're always looking if there is a cause, we look for that too. Chronic disease is a lot different. I never recommend that you guys out there treat anyone for chronic disease. What I'm talking about is trying to help yourself with acute problems like bruising and bee stings and, you know, falling down and headaches and coughs and colds, which aren't so easy because sometimes they're chronic, but just the little things and then you get better and better and then you could, you know, take some courses. But chronic disease needs to be handled with a professional. Okay. But like, let's, let's go back to the little one. Let's go back to that sore throat or, or that flu that is probably going to be self-limiting. What if I took the remedy that you should have taken or vice versa? Am I going to harm myself? No, and that's the beauty of homeopathy. It, a good remedy can either make your symptom picture a little bit worse, meaning that that's called like a temporary aggravation. So a good remedy either makes your symptoms go away or it makes you a little worse first, and then it goes away. And if you took a remedy that wasn't your remedy and it wasn't a good properly prescribed remedy, it would do nothing. You would feel nothing. Now, occasionally, you can get a symptom of the remedy. So let's say you took my remedy because you, you just heard it was for the flu, but it didn't really match your symptoms. You might say, that's strange. I have this weird pain in my left hip. But, you know, three hours later, it's gone, or one day later, it's gone. Those are called accessory symptoms, but that usually doesn't happen from a person taking one dose or treating a small acute like that. That's usually someone who's being kind of stubborn and taking the remedy, taking, 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 because we're kind of trained in Western medicine that more is better, but with homeopathy, definitely less is more. So you just take your few doses and then you stop, and if you feel 50% better, you just you just wait it out, and if you need another little booster dose, maybe tomorrow, maybe in 10 hours, then you can do that. But you don't just hammer in the remedy like we do with antibiotics where they tell you to take it even if you feel better. So when you go to buy the remedy, when it has a number on it, is it true that the smaller the number, that's the lesser intensity or the greater intensity? Okay, that's that's a great question, and I learned how to explain that because my dad's a medical doctor, and medical doctors think like scientists, and they say, how can it be possible that it's stronger when it's a 200C and it's more diluted? Because when it's more diluted, it should be weaker. But remember I told you that you take one drop of that original substance and you add 99 drops of water, and then you hit it. That's called succussion on the palm of your hand. With each one of those hits, those succussions, you're in a way you could say you're imprinting the energy of the original substance into those water molecules. And so therefore, with every succussion, you're making it stronger. So when you have a 30C, you've had a 100 of those succussions. Then you dilute it into the next vial. You take one drop of that vial, add 99 drops of water, succuss it 100 times, and you take one drop of that, add it into another vial with 99 drops of water, succuss it 100 times, so you got 100 times 100 times 100, all the way to 30, right? But when you have a 200C, you're doing that 200 times. So energetically-wise, we're succussing many, many more times to go to 200, so we're making it energetically much stronger. But by dilutions... It's more diluted, but that doesn't mean it's weaker because what's making it powerful is those hits or those succussions. That's what's giving it its energy. I have never heard, it makes perfect sense. I've never heard it explained better. So for anybody who's new to this, who's, who's maybe never heard of it at all before, I know that historically in the early 1800s, It was huge in this country, much bigger than allopathic medicine. And I think it was the AMA that decided to 
try to get rid of homeopathy and certainly made it something much, much smaller and, and, and less well-known. And, and it is certainly experiencing a revival today with the uh, interest in holistic healing. Can you tell us a little bit of that history? Right. Well, in a way today, it's uh, pushing through, but it's back to that place where they're trying to destroy it. And, you know, any any modality where people are after tells you that it works. So why would they be feel so threatened if it's such a nonsense medicine, right? But in England, they've already shut down the homeopathic hospital, which is really sad. It's been there for 100 years and they're really you know gave them such a hard time and went after them they're going after doctors and our you know homeopaths and homeopathic doctors in our country trying to like put them out of business because it works and they're they're threatened by it but really what happened earlier was when antibiotics kind of got discovered and that became like you know the drug that was going to cure everything and homeopaths actually many of of our medical schools were homeopathic schools at the time, yes. and the homeopaths actually just went underground. They really didn't go away. They just went underground because they got pushed like that, and, you know, over all the years, then they were still underground like that, but homeopathy has always existed in other countries, especially poor countries, but in our country, it went underground with the, with the you know, revive not even revival with the invention of antibiotics. And then as now we're in this, it's kind of interesting. We're kind of come full circle where antibiotics are not working anymore. We have all these super bugs and homeopathy may be the, the shining star at the end of all of this. Because if you look at MRSA and all these scary super bugs where antibiotics aren't working, homeopathy can have really a powerful effect on these kinds of things. So in the end, you know, it'll be there till the end, no matter what they try to do to it, because it does work. And That's I just it. believe so much in, in you know, let, just always letting people know it's not a placebo medicine. It works. And how we know that, because I can give it to my cat, and my cat doesn't know I put a pellet in its water, and in one hour, it, it's where it was laying on the floor with complete pneumonia. I couldn't even get it in the car to the vet. It was almost 80% better, and it didn't know there was a remedy in there. When you give it to babies, they don't know there's a remedy in there. So it's not a placebo effect, but of course there's placebo in everything. But it's not only a placebo effect that makes homeopathy work. So it's around for the long haul, in my opinion. That's fascinating. So if someone goes to see a homeopathic practitioner, can they just assume that the person is like you, that they're either vegan or they're very open to veganism, or, or are they going to get a hard time from this practitioner? Well, um, you know, uh, sadly, I would say, no, they're not going to be like me. I mean, we're all unique, but I'm unique in that I'm a plant-based practitioner, and I believe that homeopathy is powerful, but eating good foods and eating bad foods is equally as powerful. And when you're sick, I don't believe that someone can continue to eat garbage and take a remedy on their tongue. Now, I have gotten people better that weren't willing to change their diet, but I feel like, okay, maybe three years they're sick again, or 10 years they have a cancer. But when someone's willing to do both, then I feel like they, they're like insurance for the future to stay well and healthy a long time. So I, along with finding a constitutional remedy for my patients, would always advocate a plant-based diet. But, geez, that's so hard, Victoria. People do not want to change. And when they're coming to me for homeopathy and they're not coming to me for diet change, I think it was even harder. So I didn't have a lot of success changing people. But like your first guest, Kim, was saying, you got to go and meet people where they're at. If it was one day a week, if it was two days a week, if it was just taking dairy out of their diet, dairy's a huge, it's probably the most toxic food and makes people the most sick of anything I've ever come across in my practice. And it's probably the hardest food to get people to you know, give up, especially cheese, but, but it is important. So I, unlike other homeopaths, A, I'm plant-based, B, I'm educated. I, I have 
done nutrition courses and I've done the plant-based Colin Campbell's course along with a, another nutritional study. I'm really into detox. That's a big part of what I talk about on my podcast because this is where the world is going, whether we're healthy vegans right now. The world is so toxic that we all need to take action and learning what we can do about that. And so, no, you might just end up going to a good homeopath, but that's okay because then you might need to have a naturopath who can help you with supplements and your nutrition. And if you're interested being plant-based, then you should ask and search out for a naturopath that's plant-based because otherwise they might be trying to put you on like the paleo kick, which is going to, in my opinion, go the other way. So, you know, with the internet, you can search these things out, but I can tell you there's not a lot of homeopaths that also have nutrition degrees or nutrition interest. And sadly, because I think that really should be part of it, but still, what's more important if you're going for a homeopathic remedy is to find a good and well-experienced homeopath. But I just happen to do all of that in one. So do you work only in person with people in Los Angeles, or would you work with somebody remotely? Well, in my 20 years of practice, I tried to stick with it with people in person because it, it, there's something about sitting with a person that I I feel I don't know I don't it's not I'm not using my intuition to prescribe the remedy but you can't ignore it either and so I felt more successful when I could feel the person's energy with me and when I gave them the remedy and I would see them back yes I've done it over the phone but I didn't like to do that as much and right now I'm kind of on leave from seeing patients because I'm putting night and day work into my podcast. It's so much work, but I'm really having fun. Uh, well, that's how work ought to be. One more homeopathic question before we move on to something else. The, the pellets are lactose, and I believe that's dairy. Is there a way to get homeopathic remedies that have no dairy? Yes, that's a good, that's a, a good question. There are now pharmacies. First of all, you can get it in tincture and you don't have to get it on the pellets. And, um, there, there, in that, I would, I recommend is have people call the pharmacy that, like, even if they're buying those little tubes at the health food store, look at the name of the pharmacy, look it up, call them and ask because there are some pellets that aren't. And you can buy the remedy directly from that pharmacy in a tincture so that you don't have that. Then you just put one drop of the tincture into a little four-ounce glass of water. You stir it around and you take one spoon as your dose. Okay, got it. Now, I we just have a few minutes, but I don't want to skip the detox because I know you're really into the detox. Tell us what we ought to be doing along those lines. Well, I'm one of those people that really believe that nature gave us all we needed. So we just need to really learn about how we can use our foods. Like I love using things like cilantro and spirulina. And and um, I learned a new one this last month that I've been kind of afraid. I don't like seaweed, but I know it's very healthy for you. And I've never eaten it. But I learned that seaweed, especially dulse seaweed, because it's so toxic and from coming from the ocean, there's so much mercury in our oceans right now that when you take the seaweed, like I've been putting it in this smoothie that I learned from this other person, it's like a mercury detox, and the, the mercury that's in the seaweed won't release into your body. It'll only grab more mercury and take it out. So that's a great food like that. So I like to use things like that. Plus, I like to use tinctures like herbal tinctures like licorice and, and golden seal. Those are great for infections. And because there's a lot of things we're toxic with, it's not just pesticides. Look, I, I was on the golf course all those years and exposed. That's what got me so into detox. I bought my infrared sauna. That's a great way. If anyone can afford to get, they're only like 1500 bucks, so not everyone can afford it, but if you could save up and get one, that'd be one of the best things you could ever do. If you can't afford that, just take a steam at your, uh, your fitness club, but saunas are fantastic ways. And it's like everything else, little steps. I do a coffee enema every day 
because it's the best detox of your liver. Um, I like to do, put things in my smoothies, like I said, because that's just a way to get detox. And it's the gradual little things that you do that will make the most importance because people can get themselves very sick doing a big, heavy detox if they haven't done any of that and they've been eating bad foods for a year and now they want to do this, you know, 10-day juice fast, they're probably going to not feel very well. It's better to do little daily things, and when you've been doing that a while, then do like the juice cleanses and the water fast and things like that. That would help you. But coffee enemas are a really great way, and saunas are a really great way, um, Epsom salt baths, lots of things in your baths, essential oils. All of these help our body to detox. You should see the look on the face of our engineer when you said coffee enema. That's a new uh, concept to him. <laughs> I know what that look looks like, believe me. But I actually got quite a few patients in my practice to do it, and some of them it took months. And when they did it, they wrote me back, oh, I'm so upset I didn't do this sooner, really. It's it's one of the most fantastic things you can ever do. You just It's so amazing. First of all, it's amazing what toxic stuff you get out but secondly how clear you can feel how it helps with pain they use it at the Gerson clinic for pain yes. control they used to do that back in the army when they ran out of drugs they would do cannabis and they wouldn't need morphine so it's really great as a migraine sufferer that's what got me off taking aspirin. I was oh. able to replace my aspirin with a coffee enema and the coffee enema would always take my headache away. It was a, it was a miracle for me. Wow. Well, let's stop with a miracle because our time is, is just about up. Uh, the website is vidalspeaks.com, V-I-D-A-L, and that is also the name of her podcast. It happens every week, so do check that out. She's Vidal Speaks on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all over the place. You mentioned those um, infrared saunas. You can actually find them in a, a tent version for about $250. So yep, if you're true. in a small apartment or, or something like that, it is possible to get your infrared sauna. So there is more to heaven and earth, Horatio, than you have dreamed of in your philosophies. So thank you for opening our minds today, Ms. Deborah Vidal, to all these interesting possibilities. Thanks to Kim Campbell, great cookbook, The Plant Pure Kitchen. Everybody, thank you so much for being a part of this today. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for giving us this platform for all these fascinating ideas to everyone, God bless you and eat all your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. 
And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.